How is everyone? A little calm, nice and rainy, all right? Uh, if you have your Bibles, let's go to Acts chapter 17. That's where we'll be this morning, Acts chapter 17. It is kind of the perfect storm for a... There's two things that really drive attendance down low at churches. The first is holiday weekends. And then the second is... And I learned this because uh, there's like a... In bigger churches, you have tips, right, about like which Sundays the pastor can miss and which Sundays you can invite guest speakers. And so when I was an itinerant speaker, I figured out I always got booked on the same Sundays, right? And I slowly figured out, oh, it's the holidays. They're, when none of their people are there, right, they'll come put the kid in front of you. Uh, so, so holiday weekends and then bad weather. And I've never, at the holiday one, I can understand people are out of town, but bad weather, just, man, people don't want to go to church on bad weather. And then today, to top it all off, it's even more worse than that because today's Bowers' birthday. Uh, our drummer over here, and so uh, there's a sense of darkness, I think, over the whole world, as we, as we mourn. It's Abigail's birthday, too, so it's like good versus bad in this epic battle. Um, we are thankful for Bowers, and thankful for Abigail as well, and so uh, and thankful that you're here this morning. So Acts 17 is where we'll be um, this morning. We're going to read just a short little story and, and build off of that um, from verse 10 to verse 14. Acts 17, um, verse 10 through verse 14. This is the story of some of Paul's travels. Um, Verse 10, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, to a town called Berea. And when they arrived there, they went into the Jewish synagogue. If you remember from Acts, uh, it's not that long ago we preached through it. This is Paul's kind of MO. He gets to a city, he's going to go talk to the Jews uh, and kind of present his message to them. Now, verse 11, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Right above this story, Paul has gone and gone to a city called Thessalonica, and did not get the reception that he was hoping for. Um, and so there's a contrast here. These, these Jewish people were much more receptive, much more noble than the, the ones in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, without a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also... There came, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. And then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy uh, remained there. So very um, famous story um, from Acts um, about this group of Christians. We don't know a whole lot about them. This group of Jewish believers at first who, when Paul came and preached the, the gospel of Christ, and preached his death and resurrection, um, preached him as the one that all the Old Testament pointed to, um, they accepted, and they were very eager to accept. And it's kind of by itself in Acts. Um, normally what happens in Acts is Paul goes to the Jewish synagogue, they beat him up and try to kill him, and then he goes to the Gentiles, okay? And he starts community with the Gentiles, and he moves on his way. Um, and so he's just had this horrible experience in Thessalonica, and then it's notable because he goes to Berea, and man, they were just all-stars down there. I mean, it was really smooth, it was really good. Of course, eventually, some agitators come following, right, Paul's travels, and they come and stir up trouble, so he has got to scoot off. But you've got this community started here in Berea, um, to the point where, and I don't think this is as, as common in our vocabulary, but I think like King James language, that era of vocabulary, would use the word Berean as an adjective. It became like kind of common use to talk about anyone who's like real committed to the scriptures uh, or anyone who kind of really thinks things through, um, like the Bereans here. There's denominations that have been started over the Berean, you know, there's a Berean Bible church and things like that. Um, this, this community is so well known for, for being this community that was open and receptive to the gospel and then that, that really tried to make sure that everything matched with scripture. Um, they were eager, uh, the text says, um, when they received the word, they examined the scriptures daily uh, to see if these things were so. And so they, they got what they heard and they checked it against what they had in their scriptures. And they became believers. Um, 
Greek women as well as men of high standing. So a lot of times the Christians, the early Christians aren't that impressive of people. Um, they're not the smartest. They're not the, the most wealthy. They're not the most impressive. But sometimes they are. And so <laughs> Luke's trying to guide his way to make sure you know, yeah, these were some impressive people, right? I mean, these were not the, the rednecks of the town. These were the, the people everyone looked up to, and they heard it, and they engaged with it, and they were like, I'm convinced. And they started, and this church community kind of starts thriving here. Um, we're in the middle of a series called Life at FCQ, where we are um, walking through who we are as a church and what we want to be as a church as we head into the fall, uh, where ministry kind of starts over again, and you start to get more growth and visitors and things like that. So we always kind of want to recap and come together and say, who are we, where have we been, and where do we want to go? What steps can we take? Um, what kind of people do we want to be? What kind of things do we want to put in place? And so last week, Wes talked about our mission statement and our core values. Over the next three weeks, what I want to do is um, go through um, three answers to a question that I thought about this summer. And the question was this. What makes FC Cube, or First Calling Christian Church, distinct? What makes us unique? Um, as someone asked me once, uh, I wouldn't put it in language like this, but they asked me, why would I ever go to your church over 25 other churches in the area? Right? I mean, we live in Churchtopia, right? Anything you want, it's here for you. I mean, it's all around. I mean, what sets it apart, right? Um, or did you have space in these other churches, and so you got some empty seats in there? What's going on? Or, or do you all got something different than other people have? What's, what makes you separate? What makes you unique? And so as I was thinking through these questions and asking some other people you know, their perspective, how would you answer this question? Um, I came across kind of three big um, clusters or three big centers of focus um, that I think are uh, – identifiable kind of distinctives about our community and things that we've intentionally tried to, to develop and grow and things that I think we want to intentionally develop and grow as we go on to the future. And so we'll um, spend the next three weeks going through these one by one. The first one, you can see them on our posters in the small words, is engaging our minds. Um, one of the things that I think a lot of people are drawn to FCQ about, and, and when I was asking folks, um, was the um, idea that our church is more of an intellectual church um, than you perhaps always find, uh, particularly in our kind of religious culture and religious context. We, and this is something we purposely always want to do, is to be very engaged in our minds, to be very um, thoughtful and intentional about the things that we say and the things that we do, um, and not take anything for granted, those kind of things. Um, and so the, the Bereans here in Acts 17, I think, give us a great example of what that might look like. What might it look like for Christians to engage their minds, and then particularly to, to engage their minds with the scriptures in such a way um, that they would be able to faithfully follow Christ um, and have this healthy church community. Um, I think there are three lessons we can learn from the Bereans uh, here in this little story. The first one I think is the most important, and it's this. The Bereans um, obviously had their minds engaged, and they were approaching the scriptures, but they approached the scriptures with humility. They approached the scriptures with humility, which is to say they were willing to learn new things. And they were able, they had the ability to say, we have been wrong, and to admit to making a mistake. They were, they were open to learning. They were able to say, yeah, maybe we got that wrong in the past. Again, this, this story stands in such stark contrast to all the other stories where Paul comes into the established religious community of God's people, the Jewish people. Um, and, and most of the time, they're very closed off to any new message, right? They're not willing to listen. They're definitely not willing to go back and say, we've read this all wrong. We've had the wrong interpretation. And so they attack and they um, kind of go after and persecute and, and push away. And so Paul gets a more receptive audience in the Gentiles. But here um, in Berea, these, these Jewish believers here um, have this like, very unique humility about them um, that I think is even unique in, in today's culture and in today's world. Um, I think it's still not 
a uh, far stretch to, to imagine that many people think of religious people in general, and maybe Christians in particular, as like anti-intellectual or um, anything other than humble, right? I mean, anything other than um, very willing to, to consider the fact that they may be wrong about something and to consider the fact that um, maybe there's more things for them to learn. Um, but this humility, I think, is such an important aspect when we approach the scriptures, when we approach the things um, that we believe and the things that we think. Um, one of the things uh, about FCQ, um, and this comes really from, I mean, the first few days when I was a Christian, is this desire that, um, the sense that we're in a time of crisis as a church, um, like the big church, particularly here in the West, um, there's a whole lot of things going on, a whole lot of decisions have to be made, a whole lot of kind of foundation shifting between us and the, the rest of the world and that kind of stuff. Um, so we're in this bit of a crisis and the sense that maybe we've gotten some things wrong in the past 50, 100 years. Like maybe there have been some things that we've emphasized that maybe we shouldn't emphasize. Or maybe there's some things that we didn't emphasize that we should have emphasized. Or maybe there's some, some ways we've used this language and this language wasn't the most appropriate way to lose it, use it. Or, or maybe there are these ideas that are really important for the Christian faith but we've kind of all but forgotten about them in, in our kind of popular version of what Christianity is. And there's a sense that we need to constantly be recovering, um, going back to the scriptures like the Bereans and saying, how does this match up? What are we missing? Um, what could we be wrong about? Um, what do we need to learn? The sense that we, none of us have all of the answers. Um, we're all continually learning, all continually growing. Um, we live in a, a very, in like the political and cultural climate of our world, I think makes it very hard for us um, to approach anything with humility. So, I mean, turn on a news channel, uh, and when you see somebody, there are two things I think we do really wrong in America when it comes to debating and doing ideas and things like that. Is one, we lump issues together. Um, so what we love to do is instead of talking about like an actual issue versus another issue, like say like political issues, we'll lump them all them together and put a label on it. And then we'll lump a whole bunch of others together and put a label on it. And then as soon as we hear one of those issues, right, we just put a label over it and ignore it altogether. We, we don't really make value judgments on a case-by-case basis, which to hear British people talk is a very odd thing. I mean, they don't understand how the fact that someone might mention something would make Fox News go, they're liberal, we're not going to listen to them, right? The liberals like, they're not on our team. They're, <laughs> these, are, these are Republicans, for sure. They just disagreed with you on this one issue. Um, but we, we try to lump everyone together, and, and so then we don't have to deal with them. And then two, we demonize people. Um, again, turn on the news. If someone disagrees with us, they don't just have a different opinion. They have ulterior motives, right? I mean, they're an evil, bad person. Um, we can't just respectfully disagree with people and say, maybe you're not the worst person I've ever met, and maybe you actually have a noble goal in mind. We just disagree about how that would work and what kind of plan we have to take there. Um, and I think this is filtered in into the church as well, into um, the kind of Christian culture that we've surrounded ourselves in um, and been surrounded in, where when you have disagreements um, or you have different ways of looking at things, um, there's this tendency to try to lump things together and say, well, I don't have to listen to that because that's obviously way out here, that's way out here, those kind of things. Instead of taking it on a case-by-case basis. And then two, we, we kind of demonize people. We attack people who don't agree with what we agree with and who don't believe what we agree with. Um, instead of saying, maybe there are possibilities for us to still get along by disagreeing um, instead, of, instead of attacking your morality or instead of attacking your holiness or, or your sense of motive. Um, the Bereans, they, they come to the scriptures with humility. I think this is a question that we've got to ask ourselves is, what could we be wrong about? Uh, and and there's, I think church history is just a great example of this, that we need to be diligent in this. It was not too long ago that Christians were on the wrong side of slavery. Um, this was probably the, one of the most eye-opening things I had read first when I started studying um, church history. 
was reading sermons delivered by Southern preachers about why slavery is a biblical concept and why if you were trying to abolish slavery, you were going against the clear commands of the Bible. Um, I mean, the lines were drawn in this time period, and the biblical people were on slavery. And the people who were arguing against slavery were, right, they were biblical, but they were cast as the liberals, right, as the, like, people who don't care about the Bible and don't care about anything like that. And they are clear, right? I mean, so dozens of scriptures that either support slavery or command it or bless it, and then equally as many scriptures that mention it without condemning it, right? That seem to at least acknowledge it um, and don't say anything bad about it. Um, and so you have all of these, these preachers and Christians who go, there's nothing you can say to me that's going to make me think this is not the biblical truth. I have these dozen verses in front of me. There's no way you can put these pieces together that's going to make me think um, anything else than this position. They, they have no humility to their approach, right? Um, and then you have this other group of Christians and, and other political activists who come together and say, hey, maybe you're missing out on a much bigger story inside the scriptures. Maybe to be actually faithful to Jesus, um, it's going to involve you reading those texts a little bit differently and kind of growing up into how you understand how we should treat humans and, and things of that nature. And so they go back and say, what is God actually doing from the very beginning with different races? He's trying to bring them together. They've been, all been separated. He's trying to bring them together in harmony, have them have peace with each other. What's he doing in the gospel? He's bringing Jews and Gentiles together. Um, I mean, this is a huge theme throughout it. What is the ultimate goal of the kingdoms for all races and all tongues to all worship equally together? And, and so there's, a, there's, there's no way you can put these two together. What we're doing right now is not going to get us that goal. This is just not compatible. Um, again, they were kind of written off. They don't take the Bible seriously enough. In fact, I would say they took the Bible more seriously. Right? I mean, they were more concerned to take those ideas and go back to the scriptures and go back to the, the like, heart of what the message was and to make sure that they were faithful. There are things that we're wrong on right now. As FC Cube, as big church, there are things I got to think in 150 years, the history books will look back on us like we look back on people during the civil rights era. And we go, how could you possibly act like that? Well, we just didn't know, right? I mean, we hadn't figured out the issue at that point. Um, we weren't all bad people. We just hadn't, hadn't worked out these problems in our minds. I don't think a lot of these people, the, the pastors that I read these sermons, are actually bad people. I think some of them probably use religion to advance their political purposes. Um, I think some of them, though, were actually convinced. They thought they were being faithful to the Bible um, by arguing for slavery. Um, it's a scary thing to consider. What might that be in my life? What that, might that be in our generation? I mean, what might people look back on and go, how in the world could they ever do that? Um, well, they, they just didn't have a humble approach to it. I mean, they weren't willing to say, maybe I can learn something. And maybe I need to reconsider positions I've had. Um, not because I don't trust Scripture, but because I want to be more faithful to Scripture. Uh, I want to go back and, and make sure it all matches together. Um, you have this pendulum here. I think slavery is this, this blinding historical example of what happens when, when we're not humble about the Scriptures. Um, you've got to be able to learn new things and grow in your knowledge, you've got to also be able to disagree with people um, without having to demonize them, without having to um, break unity with them or things of that nature. Um, you should never, uh, ever agree 100% with everything I say, right? I mean, this is never, this is never an option for you, is to take every word that comes out of my mouth as, like, gospel truth. Let me clue you in on one little thing, which is right now, if you were to, like, list out all the things that I believed, in that list... Of things, so let's say there's like seven thousand files, maybe like one of the files. Okay, so run the statistics on that. Maybe one of those is almost for sure wrong. 
Like, I can tell you right now it's wrong. The problem is I just don't know which one it is, right? One day I'll hopefully figure it out, and someone will show me, and we'll fix it, and those kind of things. Um, but I wouldn't want you to believe everything I believe right now, because I can almost guarantee you in 10 years I'm not going to think the same thing. I'll have been convinced otherwise on, on different issues. On, I've, I've read more. I'll have thought more. I've had encounters with other people um, that have opened my mind up and changed how I view things. And, and hopefully, again, maybe more faithful to the text. Not less faithful to the text, um, but maybe be able to see it more faithfully in more of a Christ-like manner. Um, and, and I think that's true for all of us. Um, I think we always have to know that there's that next step that we have to take um, in our knowledge. Um, problem is we just don't know what it is at this point, which is why we've got to hold everything in a humble stance with open hands, um, being willing to learn, being willing to say we've made a mistake. Um, there are things that we've gotten wrong in the past 200 years, the past 100 years, the past 50 years, in the past three years. We've always got to be able to accept the criticism. Um, I've always seen my role in ministry since I was 18 as like in the church, reforming the church. Um, I've never really felt called to you know, be an evangelist or go talk to people who don't know Jesus, that kind of thing. I think it's important. I don't think it's necessarily my gift, but I've always been much more interested in what have we done wrong? How can we be more faithful so that we might be more attractive and more um, disciple-making in the world around us? Um, how can we fix what's broken in our own machine so that we might work better when we actually go out into the world, those kind of things? It's just been always much more of a drive in my life. It's just always been much more, and it's not because I don't care about the church, right? It's actually because I care a lot about the church. I think it's so important that we've got to fix it when it's off track, um, and, and you can't just ignore it and, and let it keep going. It's not a, out of an abandonment of the scriptures that the Bereans switch their beliefs and become Christians. It's because of the scriptures, because they wanted to continue to be faithful to them, um, but they were willing to learn and want to open up. It's a weird thing also, having, so I've spoken for eight years now, having at different points in time taken a public stance on something or taught something, right, and then... Four years later, you no longer believe that anymore, right? I can guarantee there are people in the world, and this makes me sound way more famous, there are people, though, around the United States who believe a certain thing because I taught them that or convinced them of that or that kind of thing, who are now in a different part of life, right? I mean, I have no communication with them. I have no idea. But who now, I don't believe that anymore, right? And it's like, oh, no, I messed you up forever. <laughs> like, I can't, I can't fix this. But it's a very humble thing, right? It's a very, it gives you a lot of humility, 26-year-old Mike thinks 22-year-old Mike was kind of a, like a jerk, right? And kind of like wrong on a whole lot of stuff. And hopefully 30-year-old Mike will look back at 26-year-old Mike and be like, wow, you were wrong on a lot of stuff, right? Um, I mean, there's just got to be this humility when you come to the, the approach stuff like this. You've got to um, not be close fist and not be abusive towards other people. You always have to have this openness to ask questions and to doubt and to be willing to correct yourself. I mean, the, the only thing worse than realizing you made a mistake is refusing to act on it. To go, well, this is so embarrassing that we're not going to accept the criticism. No. Say, yeah, we screwed up. Let's fix it. Let's do much better from here on out. Um, and so the, the Bereans had this humility. Um, and the humility doesn't always get you far with religious people. It didn't work for the prophets. It didn't work for Jesus. It didn't work for Paul. Um, this is actually probably the most surprising thing that's come into my life since I started ministry, which is how much people would be upset if you started questioning things and said, I don't know if that strategy was the right one to use for the last hundred years. Um, how you know, attacked they would feel and threatened they would feel and want to come after you um, for that. It's all about humility. Um, number two, the Bereans are humble. They're also um, approaching the scriptures with a commitment, with this kind of um, eagerness. They, they approach scriptures with a commitment um, to dig into it and to, to learn it and to make sure that everything they're hearing um, uh, examines and, and falls in line with the scriptures. 
I think this is one of the areas where church in the past, the church I grew up in, was very, actually really good at, right? I mean, like they got this strong, which was that every individual believer needs to have this personal commitment to the scriptures. Um, you need to not trust everything you ever hear, and you need to not trust every online article you ever read, um, and you need to take everything that you hear and everything that you read and run it back to the scriptures, right? And you need to have even this personal time every day, maybe, this the quiet time they called when I was growing up, where you sit down with the scriptures and filter your life through the scriptures and filter what you're thinking and hearing and being taught through the scriptures, those kind of things. Um, the Bereans had this commitment, right? As soon as they heard it, they're like, I know exactly what we've got to do. We've got to run back and run this through the scriptures um, and see how it works out, see how the pieces fit together. Um, and so they had this consistent effort. Um, they had this plan. Um, again, I think sometimes we uh, have fallen into this like romantic idea that the most truest actions are actions that are most spontaneous. Um, we do this with prayer, I think, as well as with the scriptures. Um, so there's a sense that like a prayer that you made up on the spot is more holy than a prayer from like a saint in the fifth century. Um, and there's a sense of, right, like it has to be spontaneous to be, you know, genuine, to be heartfelt, and, and those kind of things. But in fact, I think actually a lot of us just aren't good at praying. And really the only <laughs> prayers we've ever heard are the spontaneous prayers, which if you pay attention, all sound the exact same. It's almost like there's an invisible form, right, of these spontaneous prayers. Um, if you'll listen, right, I do spontaneous prayers up here. If you pay attention week to week, they're kind of the same thing. Like words change here or there. But you, you, that's how human minds work, right? You get in a pattern, you associate things with this, um, and it goes. So the question is not, will you not use tradition? Will you not rely on other people to perform your prayers? It's what are you going to do? Are you going to rely on just what people have thought up in the last hundred years? Or might you go back to like the richest of all the different ways the church has learned how to pray and the words they've learned how to use and the thoughts they've been able to express to God? Um, same with the scriptures. Um, there's a sense where I think you're failed at, at really digging into the scriptures if um, you think you're just going to pick it up and open it up one day and just be really interested and really understanding all of it and just going through it. I mean, it's a confusing, complex, scary book. Um, it's not always the most interesting read. It's no Twilight or Hunger Games. Some of it is. <laughs> like legitimately, uh, but, but not all of it. I mean, it's, it, it can be kind of a dull Leviticus, right? I mean, it's just hard to get through. Um, what you need, though, to attack scriptures is a plan, right? You need an effort. Sometimes you need, like, an actual plan, like on this day, on this day, on this day, um, or, or accountability, those kind of things. You've got to be committed to the scriptures, and you've got to be committed to acting on the scriptures, um, which is a big step that sometimes we miss. Uh, they were not only committed to what they believed and making sure that was right, but then how will that work out in our lives? They've become Christians. They've developed this, this healthy church in Berea. Um, I think one of the ways maybe we've missed a step here um, is sometimes we are so concerned with what we believe that we like make sure we want to have the right bucket with all the right beliefs in it, but we never actually get to the point where we think about how those beliefs might affect our like, nitty-gritty lives um, and like really examine minute decisions we make that might actually have like severe consequences. Um, so an example for this, for a long time, I mean, as long as I can remember, as long as 100, 150 years, looking back like in recent history, um, the church has been pretty much in agreement that God cares about poor people. Um, God wants poverty alleviated. He wants his people to help people who are in poverty. Um, he wants people who are being abused and, and, and owned by the people, all those. He wants freedom to come to all those people, okay? But again, there's always been disagreement on how that happens. So you've got your political liberals who are going to say, well, we want government programs to help alleviate the poverty. And then you'll have your conservatives who say, no, it'll just be charity, right? Same kind of goal. I don't think they should maybe demonize each other as much as they should, right? Um, just way two different strategies of getting there. 
Um, but they, on both sides, the Christian liberals and the Christian conservatives, they want the same thing. They're just a strategy, a discussion on how you get there. In recent times, though, in the last like maybe 15 years, 10 years, you see a lot more interesting questions, I think, come up. And I think this is the right direction. I think this is where we have to move as a church. Um, so instead of asking, can we agree that God cares about poor people and those who are abused, the question has become this. We might not individually buy a slave during our workday. Like, we might not ever, right? That would be an easy decision to make. I'm in the market. I'm at Walmart. Should I buy a slave? Nope. Yeah, God cares about that. He does not want me. So, okay, I'll walk away from that, right? Um, but we never thought about how might that actual principle filter into, like, everyday life, this, even the society we've constructed around us that makes our lives continue to work. Um, and so now you have Christians asking this question. To what extent would we be responsible if we bought products that could be traced back to child slaves? in the last two weeks, in the last four weeks? That's a much more interesting question. And it's awkward, and it's not clear. I'm not sure of anyone who would say, this. I know the exact answer, and everyone has to agree with this and that kind of thing. There's a lot of talking points here. How much are you actually responsible? It's not a direct decision that you're making. Um, and then other people say, but you're holding this whole structure up, right? I mean, you're the part that makes this all keep going, um, and you've never connected the dots here. Um, there's a website... Someone showed me like two years ago where you can type in where you live and like some shopping choices you make and that kind of stuff. And they'll actually tell you how many slaves work for you a day. Uh, it was kind of like shocking. Like, whoa, most of our candy products can be traced back to child slavery um, in, in different African countries and stuff like that. A lot of, right, I mean, you've heard of this. This is not news. Like in China, they have sweatshops and things like that. A lot of it are really cheap products are that cheap because we're not paying people a real, like, livable wage in another country. But we can go over there and kind of abuse their system and get it over here. We don't have to think about it. We just buy it real cheap in front of us. But what if we took this larger principle, God cares about all this stuff, and said, man, how might that get really awkward in my life? Yeah, I agree God cares about it, but now when it comes to doing this, this is cheap and convenient for me. How much am I willing to sacrifice? How much do I think I have to sacrifice? These are, I think, much more interesting questions, um, much more complex questions, um, that we should approach with humility, but with, with eagerness. And she said, yeah, this is the questions we have to be asking as a church. What does it mean to agree to these things in the real world? I mean, it's not, and it's not easy by any means. What does it mean to love your enemies in the real world? There's no easy answer to this. I mean, there's no clear cut, this has to be how it has to happen. It's a lot of awkward conversations with a bunch of people groping together going, well, yeah, I mean, we just all can agree we have to go that way. But it's confusing, and it's awkward, and we don't know exactly how, but let's try to get there. Let's, let's just try to keep going that way. So they were committed. They were humble. And the third thing, they were reading in community. They were reading together. I think uh, another way that perhaps we can go wrong is trying to do everything on our own. Um, we have this enlightenment idea um, that we can be autonomous decision makers, and just me and my mind can decide on everything that's true in the world, and I don't need tradition. I don't need my parents. I don't need people around me. I don't need textbooks. I can kind of figure out everything on my own. Um, and that's not, I think, how life works in reality. And then, too, I don't think that's how the Christian life was ever supposed to work. Um, we, we're supposed to read in community. It's only when we come together with different perspectives that we can come to a faithful reading of the Bible. Okay, we can faithfully engage our minds. As a young white male with just a great set of facial hair, I approach the Bible a certain way. There are things that I would never think about reading a Bible passage because I've never experienced them. But if you take someone from a different part of the world 
or even maybe like a black woman down the street, she might be seeing a whole lot of other stuff in that same story. You can go back to John 4, the woman at the well, the Samaritan story. Maybe email me the assumption. There's like 12 interpretations people have listed out. And it's funny how like exact opposite they can be. Um, looking at the same passage from different experiences. It's when we come together, though, that we can both really start to think, right? And I can be like, yeah, that's actually kind of a dangerous way for me to read that text. And so I need to cut off what's bad there. And then I can say, this is kind of the concerns I'm seeing here. And it's when we come together as a community that we're able to get a faithful reading. Um, We need all the perspectives, just like we need all the gifts in the church, right? We need all of us on the same page with one voice um, trying to to engage the scriptures, trying to engage our minds. So we've got to do it in community. I think with dead people and with living people, hopefully more living people, unless you're into that kind of thing. Um, but dead people in the sense of reading, right? I mean, we have a large community that we belong to. And a, a lot of the issues that we end up considering have been considered before, and we're not the first ones to think about them. So sometimes we can save ourselves some time and some trouble and jump three steps, right? Okay, they've already thought through these three things. Now I can keep going instead of you know, trying to rethink the will. Um, most of the things that we're thinking about are not the first time we've been thinking about them. Um, so we've, we've got to read the scriptures, I think, in community, as a church, and then even as individuals, as family units, as small groups, that kind of thing. Um, a couple of ways we've done that here at the church, and a couple of ways we'll, we'll continue to do this going forward. Um, a lot of our sermon series are exegetical, um, and we do that, one, because we want to focus on the scriptures, and, and it's easy to do topical series and not end up preaching on things that would make you uncomfortable, right? Or things that, I mean, it's easy to avoid certain things um, when you get to just pick a topic uh, to preach on. Um, but when you're reading through like actual text, I can guarantee you there are going to be like a few passages that you wouldn't have never preached on in your life, but we're going to all be awkwardly forced to deal with it, right? It's going to be messy, and it's going to be uncomfortable, and we're going to get through it together. It also gives you, I think, um, like a definite thing to dive into, right? Like if okay, if we're doing this for this period of time, I can I can study this as well, right? I can read through this, I can follow along on this. Um, so it gives you kind of a, a specific book or, or part of the Bible to focus on. So we'll start Mark soon in late September. And so Mark will be our next one. I guarantee it'll take a very long time. Um, so again, it's like an invitation, right? Let's dive in. Here we go. We've got a book. If you're wondering what book to read, we've got the book for you, right? I mean, let's all go at this together um, and make an concerted effort for a while. Um, we uh, have for a while been reading from the lectionary for our scripture readings. The lectionary is just a, a calendar of dates and then scripture readings that have been assigned to the dates. They go by books, and they go by uh, topics and, and kind of ideas and themes of the church year. So around Christmas, all the readings will be Christmas theme and that kind of stuff, Easter, Easter, uh, and so on and so, so forth. Um, so we've been reading from that for a while. What we want to do uh, as we head into the fall is expand our lectionary um, that we use in worship to read the scriptures out loud um, into community groups during the week. Um, and so we're actually going to roll out four Bible studies in the next couple of weeks um, during the week that all come back to the lectionary. They're all based on the lectionary. Um, so in the week leading up to um, worship, you would have multiple opportunities to go and study more in depth a text that you would hear in worship. Um, so there's kind of this integrated approach where we're on a church all together, um, even though we have different opportunities and different time slots available to us and different things um, that we'll be experiencing. So we'll put all this information again in front of you in much clearer terms. Um, a quick rundown on Tuesday mornings, there'll be a Bible study at Denny's. Uh, on Highway 6 near Brook Street. Yeah. Um, they'll be going through the Old Testament. So the Old Testament passages that you got the lectionary at. Um, I'm not sure God's up at that time, um, but they're going to explore it for us, all right? Um, so, right, I mean, if you've got to get somewhere and you, the mornings work best for you and that's just how, I don't know, 
can't understand it. Um, then there's your 6 a.m. Um, pray for y'all. <laughs> Thursday night, I'll be leading a study uh, to the New Testament stuff. So we'll have four weeks in Philippians to, to start off the bat. Um, again, at night where God's alive and things are happening. <laughs> Stay up all night and sleep in the morning. Um, Saturday mornings, um, Michelle will be leading a uh, study on the Psalms. So the lectionary is Old Testament, New Testament, and the Psalms. Um, and then, and that'll be here at the church at 9. And then on Sundays, we'll start it back up. A while back, Wes was doing an adult Bible study up uh, between services. We'll start that back up, but it will be focused on the passages read in Scripture. So it'll be like a quick overview of the passages you would hear, whereas during the week would be kind of more in-depth. Like, this is all we have to talk about is let's talk about the first chapter of Philippians. Um, and, and this is kind of an effort to experiment. We don't expect all the groups to be successful, thriving communities. Um, we just kind of want to see what would happen, right? If we put these options out, try to get different times, um, different um, topics, different days, uh, so that people have options, and then, you know, see what fits needs. Maybe there's a group of people who will come together, um, reading together in community, and uh, we'll see some benefit from that. So, um, that will be coming soon, um, as we at FCQ try to read scriptures in community like the, the believers in Berea did. I'll end today um, with a couple questions. The first one is, how would you self-evaluate how engaged your mind is? There had to be at least three ways to say that question better. <laughs> but I'm not going to try. How were you, if you were to self-evaluate, <laughs> so convoluted, if you're going to evaluate yourself about how engaged your mind is, right, about how kind of examined you are, how focused you are on the scriptures, if you were thinking about, like, what would an outside person maybe rate me? How would they see me? What would, I mean, what would be your honest self-evaluation? That's something to think about today. Um, how engaged are you? How, how much um, humility, how much commitment, how much um, community do you have going together as you try to work out um, what it is Christians call to believe and what it is Christians call to do in the world around us? Um, I think it's an interesting question for all of us to ask. Um, I would ask this question, well, what is your plan for engaging your mind? What is your plan for reading the scriptures and for thinking through what they mean and how they might affect our lives? And then I would say, if you don't have a plan, is it working for you? Because there are people, I think, who can do that, right? And they're just a lot more impressive than I am. And they just can open it up and go for it and read it and be engaged. It doesn't work for me. I mean, I've, I've got to, I have to have something, right? Otherwise, SportsCenter is always on. I mean, there's just, I've got to have it as something, okay, I've committed, I'm going to do this today. I've got to keep me going. Um, again, if it works for you without a plan, that's fine. But maybe if for the last five years you've tried it with a no plan and it's continually failed, maybe now's the time where we say, okay, what would a plan look like? I mean, what would a reading plan look like? What would joining a community where we're holding each other accountable to read look like? Um, those kind of things um, I think are good questions to ask us, to ask of ourselves. Um, and then as we um, think about maybe how God is calling us forward in the future, um, to be followers of Christ and to be people who think through um, how the scriptures affect our lives and how they affect our, our witness to the world around us. I think, uh, like every Sunday, the perfect first step is to come to the table uh, and to come to worship and remember who Christ is, what he's done for us, um, all that he's provided for us, um, and then to, to take a simple step of obedience to say, I'll worship you and I'll follow you um, and, and we'll go towards you together. Um, so we'll pray together and we'll, we'll keep worshiping that way. Father, uh, we thank you again for this time um, that you've given us this morning. I pray that you would continue to bless us as a church family. I pray that you would help us to um, always approach your scriptures um, with humility, and with a commitment, with an eagerness, um, with a fervor, and, and then as well in community. Um, 
with humility, Father, that, that we might um, be best able to discern what it means to follow you in, in maybe ways we've gone off track a little bit and maybe ways that we can be more faithful in doing that, Father. I pray that you would um, cause our community to be a, a group of people who shine bright in the world around them. Um, we don't get tripped up over stuff because um, they just weren't paying attention carefully enough that we would um, be so concerned with how faithful we are to your son, how faithful we are to your scriptures, um, that we'd not be able to get tripped up on big things, Father, that might embarrass us later. Uh, I pray that you would create in all of us this desire to receive your love and to pass it on to the world around us. As we come to worship this morning, we, we just ask that your spirit would um, come alive inside of us, would, would transform us from the inside out. We love you. And we're so thankful for all you've done and all that you're doing. It's in the name of your beautiful son. Let all God's people pray. Mm-hmm.